It's wonderful to be with you again this morning as we uh, start our third week now in our short series through First Peter, uh, this series that we're calling Stand Firm. And I hope that you've been encouraged in our first uh, two sessions in this series as we've been looking at chapter one and the start of chapter two. Uh, and so as we turn to God's word this morning, let's pray again that he'd continue to speak to us uh, and, and shape us into the people that he would have us to be. So, so let's pray before we turn to God's word. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for your word, your your living and enduring word, as we saw uh, last week at the end of chapter one. Uh, Father, thank you for everything that you have to teach us. Uh, thank you, God, that, that that we have the opportunity to gather in this way to hear your word. And we pray, Father, that by your spirit, you would shape us and mold us and encourage us, uh, equip us. Uh, Father, today that you would, uh, we pray that you would draw people to yourself, maybe even for the first time, Father, uh, as we turn to your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that as I share now, Father, would, uh, would these words be acceptable and pleasing to you? Would your word stand true? And Father, would everything else fall by the wayside? So we thank you for this time, Father, and pray uh, your will will be done for your purpose and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, today we're, we're going to be continuing in chapter 2 of First Peter and so we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 10 uh, and so perhaps you want to look that up if you've got a copy of God's Word there with you. Um, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word whether you're gathered in the building or, or joining us online uh, if you don't have a physical copy of God's Word uh, please do let us know we'd love to get one to you so, uh, so do just reach out for that. Uh, as you turn to, to that Bible passage, maybe it would be helpful for us just to recap where we've been, uh, what we've seen so far in this letter. Uh, so in, in week one, uh, we used the title, Stand Firm in Who You Are and Whose You Are, uh, Being Confident in Our Identity in Christ, and, and, and for those of us who are trusting in Him in salvation, that is where we find ourselves. Uh, and in doing so, then we are assured uh, that, that our salvation is not our work, but God's, uh, and he will hold us fast. So be sure and stand firm in who you are and whose you are. Uh, last week, uh, we explored how that identity then makes a difference in our lives. Uh, we saw how we can stand firm, uh, knowing that who we are shapes how we live. Uh, and God, through Peter's words in the second half of chapter one, showed us that, that as recipients of grace, that then leads to a life of holiness. Now we commented that, that the hope that we're given leads to holiness. The grace that we're shown gives birth to godliness. Who we are shapes how we live. Uh, and Michael really helpfully led us on Wednesday evening at the prayer meeting to expand on those thoughts. And if we are to truly chase after this life of holiness that we're called to, then we must be grounded in his good and enduring and lasting word. Um, and today, uh, many of those themes emerge again uh, as once more Peter seeks to encourage uh, not only his first readers of this, but God then through his spirit is continuing to teach and equip us as to how we stand firm in the faith, uh, particularly in the midst of trial or difficulty or persecution. Uh, and God by his spirit is going to continue uh, to teach those words and those lessons to us as we gather this morning. Uh, so we pray for his help in that. Uh, and so we can see some of the repetition of those themes from week one and two. Themes of our identity, themes of then how that identity shapes our behaviour. It comes through in some of these verses that we'll look at again. And let me start at the end of the passage that we're going to look at. And you can see some of these key themes emerging. Uh, look with me at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2 in First Peter. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
And so did you spot those themes? Uh, who we are and how we're to live? Uh, who are we? We're chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, brought from darkness to light. Now we're the people of God, we're recipients of mercy. This is who we are if we follow Jesus. Uh, and how does that identity then shape how we live? Well, in the middle there, I wonder, did you pick up that we are given that identity that you may declare the praises of him who called you. And the ESV translates that, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. In everything we do, in our words, our actions, our attitudes, our behaviour, we are to declare the praises, proclaim his name because of what he has done for us. Because of our identity in him, we want to make him known to those around us. That, that is the life that we're to live. That's who we are and that's how we're to live. And so we declare the praises of the God who has called us to himself into his wonderful light. Uh, and once again, we can see how these two things, who we are and how we're to live, uh, they are only possible because of God's work. It, it, it is him who has called us. The, we declare the praises of him who has called you into his wonderful light. So you remember the, the introduction uh, to this letter. It again shows how salvation is God's work. And it's going to be a major theme that we look at today. Uh, but remember back in the first two verses of the book of the letter in itself. To God's elect exiles who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. God is the one who saves. Uh, and this is good news. Hallelujah. God saves. The reality that our eternal salvation and freedom from sin is not down to our own effort. That is good news. It's not down to how much we deserve it. That is good news. God graciously, mercifully, justly gives his salvation. And he calls us from darkness into his wonderful light. And so he calls us into his light, the life that he has for us. And so who we are and how we live continue to be themes that we'll see today. Um, but as we continue through this passage as a whole in a bit more depth, uh, once again we're going to see lots of things that God can teach us this morning. And, and so please do spend more time in the passage this week. Um, we'll be doing that through life groups, so if it's helpful for you and you're, if you're able to join one, please do that. Uh, Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening online, Thursday morning in the church. Uh, but before we look at the passage, let, let's read through the passage. Uh, and I just would love you to highlight uh, and try to think through some of the, or try to catch some of the repeated words and themes and phrases. I've said before that, uh, that a helpful way to study God's word is sometimes to, to pick up the things that are already there for us to see. Uh, these things that are repeated for us. Clearly God is trying to show us something through uh, these words. So let's read these, these seven verses together, verse 4 through to verse 10 from chapter 2 of 1 Peter. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What wonderful words from God through the pen of Peter. And I wonder, did you notice some of those repeated words and phrases? Uh, one of the things that's quite clear to see in the first half of the, that passage is the repetition of, of the word stone or cornerstone or rock uh, eight or nine times. We see that in those verses. I wonder what that could mean. God will hopefully illuminate that for us later. Now, I also wonder if you, if you notice the multiple comparisons that we see through these verses. Um, it, it's made uh, somewhat evident through the, the, the use of the, the term but. And we see that about five times in the verses. It was this way, but... You can respond this way, but some people treated Jesus like this, but. Um, but, but these things that we notice, they're not just interesting uh, little notes of language. We believe God's word is inspired, it is living, it is active. And so there's a reason and there are lessons for God to include these in his word. And hopefully we're going to explore those through our time this morning. But the, the inclusion of, of stones and the inclusion of, of these comparisons, I think, are there to help us to see a bigger picture and a more wonderful reality, if you like. You see, as we, as we read these verses, we can see a lot about ourselves, our identity, how we're to live. And, and these are good things for us to consider. We've done so far in this series. But I think these verses also point way beyond ourselves. You see, what we see in these verses is yet another example and, and indeed an explanation of just how wonderful the work and the salvation of Jesus is. See, these verses help us to grasp who we are and how we're to live. Yes, absolutely. But God shows those truths in the light of the bigger truth, that who we are and how we're to live, it's all about Jesus. Our identity is based solely on him and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Our lives that we live out, they, they are marked by longing to make him known because he is indeed precious and so we live that life through faithful obedience. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the rock, the stone, the cornerstone. And as we consider the wider context of this letter, written to help and encourage uh, Christians who were facing pressure and, and struggling to live in a culture and a context which was so contrary to their faith, then what a wonderful reminder to never drift from what is central. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. He is the rock on which we stand. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see that if we're wanted to stand firm in the faith, then we must stand firm on the rock that is Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to consider. And we're going to do that by thinking about two main things. We're going to think about what Jesus has done. And then based on that, we're going to consider what we must do with that news. So what Jesus has done and what we must do as we seek to stand firm on him, the rock. So firstly then, let's work our way through verses 4 and 5 as we try to uh, see what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and I'm going to try something this week and just walk our way through the series. Those of you who have uh, been listening for a while know that I'm, I'm quite a fan of, of John Piper's uh, Look at the Book series. It's a Bible study tool that where he just walks through passages. I'm not, by doing this, I'm not in any way claiming uh, to be rivaling John Piper. I just find that method of, of showing uh, the text and how things link together really helpful. So hopefully uh, you find that this morning too. So just as we begin to think of what Jesus has done, let's look at verse four and five and what do we see there well firstly we see as you come to him 
as you come to him that, that that's that's not a throwaway statement at the start of this sentence that is a wonderful reality that we can come to him we can come to jesus there, there's a promise there of relationship and of presence we can come before jesus the lord and savior of the world we can approach the throne of grace as we read elsewhere and so there's a wonderful opportunity for relationship but 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 how do we come well we come to him the living stone we come to him and we're able to come to him because he was rejected by humans and rejected by humans i think is is obviously pointing us back to the cross where jesus came he had a wonderful ministry uh, while he was here on earth but he was rejected ultimately by the people he came to serve and to save he was rejected by humans but chosen by god what a wonderful reality that is for us isn't it rejected but chosen by god it points us back even into chapter one where we see that that jesus was chosen he was foreknown before the creation of the world and then revealed to us in the last times he was chosen it speaks to us as well at this salvation plan of god was his plan there was a definite purpose in sending jesus to be rejected he had chosen jesus so that this salvation plan would be made known we see that through the nativity passages where we're told that jesus would come to be the savior of the world to save people from their sins he was rejected by humans but chosen by god and if you've been with us through the series maybe that points you back even to what how peter introduced this letter uh, there's even an allusion here that, that Peter is making to show the alignment between Jesus and Jesus' people, followers, God's people. Jesus was rejected by men but chosen by God. And we've already seen through chapter 1 that you as followers of Jesus have been chosen by God and you will be rejected by men. But yet, here we are, rejected by humans, chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus was precious to God and you also like living stones. See the comparison that Peter is making here between Jesus and his followers. Jesus was rejected but chosen by God, precious to God. We as his followers, we may be rejected by those around us, but we have been chosen by God and we are precious to him. This is such an encouragement uh, to those first followers and how it is for us too. And so let's continue as we work our way through. What is Jesus doing? And what are we doing? As we come to him, we are being built. And there's a very purposeful action there, isn't there? That's not a coincidental building. We are being built. There's a a great active process going on. We are being built and we're being built into a spiritual house. um, A temple, if you like, that we are being built into. Uh, And there's lots of Old Testament allusion here. And we're going to come on and see a few more. Even in this passage, we see multiple quotations from the Old Testament. Uh, Those aren't accidental. Peter is showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that we've seen. And indeed now the presence of God, which was so physically um, uh, visible at times in the physical temple of the Old Testament. We see throughout the New Testament that believers in Jesus, we are inhabited by the Spirit. God is no longer confined to physical buildings, not that he ever was, but he now inhabits his people. And so we indeed are his temple, or the temple of the Holy Spirit, as we read in 1 Corinthians. And so we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Of course, some of those who 
who took part in the activities in the first temple were the priests who were there to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Very physical sacrifices of animals often or grain or, or drink offerings and, and lots of different types of offerings for different types of sacrifices. But we now are being built into not only the temple but we're being built into the priests too. To be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Not the physical things of old but spiritual sacrifices. Reminds me of Romans 12. Where, where, where Paul encourages us to, to offer in view of God's mercy to offer our whole bodies as a living sacrifice that that is our true and proper worship and so as we give these sacrifices of our whole lives these spiritual sacrifices before our God and these sacrifices that we're to present they are acceptable to God but they are only acceptable through Jesus Christ it is only because of what Jesus has done that our sacrifices are acceptable. It is only through how, how his cleanliness, his holiness, that we can approach the throne of grace. It is only through Jesus that our sacrifices can be made. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And it is only because of his sacrifice that we can then be deemed holy to approach our holy God. It's a wonderful exchange. We're going to talk about it again later. But as Jesus took the penalty of sin on upon himself for those who believe and trust in him, then we are then clothed with his righteousness. Our sin is placed on him and we are clothed with him. With his righteousness, therefore, it is through him, through the righteousness that he gives, that we can approach and offer these sacrifices. This is what God has done. This is what Jesus has done. He has made the way possible for relationship, that we can come before him. He has made the way possible for us to be known by God in relationship and that he is at work in our lives, building us up as we as we are inhabited by God's spirit, that we are being built up to then live the life that he has called us to as we offer these spiritual sacrifices and it's all through Jesus. This is, this is the good news. This is the good news that was preached to you as Peter said at the end of chapter 1. This is the wonderful news of salvation. This is what Jesus Christ came to give and now is available for all who hear it. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he came to earth to live the perfect sinless life and then to die a sinner's death so that God would place the penalty of the world's sin on his son's shoulders. And in doing so, that means that God's wrath and judgment of sin is fully satisfied, completely dealt with. The debt has been paid for those who come under the protection of Jesus, for those who trust in what he has done, what he has accomplished. But of course, Jesus is the living stone. He didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously from the grave to show his power over sin and death and hell. He's now seated in heaven waiting to come again to bring in his kingdom in all its fullness. And and so for those who trust in him, he is keeping our inheritance as we saw in chapter 1. And then we will be with him for all eternity in his glory. And until then he's given us his spirit to equip us, to teach us, to guide us in all truth. And so our lives are shaped by him as we seek to respond to the wonderful grace that that he has shown us. This is the good news of Jesus. Sins forgiven, death defeated, wrath satisfied, eternity secure, life for now and for all eternity in all its fullness. And this is all through Jesus, because of Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. And all of that work of Jesus demands a response. So if we can see clearly what Jesus has done, then we must ask, 
What must we do? So let's consider then what we must do. Jesus' work, as we've seen, is, is emphatic, it's complete, and we must respond to it. His, his offer of salvation is open. And we read in 1 Timothy 2, 4, that we know that God, our Saviour, wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And he has made it possible for us to know that truth and to be saved from our sin. And so what are we going to do with this gracious, merciful offer? Well, from what we read in in verses 6, 7 and 8, there are only two responses to be made. uh, To trust and believe or, or to disobey and not believe. And I realise that this message is often considered unpopular in our world today. Um, But let's remember that God's word is timeless, eternal truth. And in a culture which doesn't like exclusive, definitive claims, the message of Jesus cuts across that. It jars with some people, I, I understand that. But there is no doubting the definitive and absolute words of the Bible. Jesus himself in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We heard about this on, on Tuesday night at Missions Night, if you were able to join us. So if we want to know the way to salvation, if we want to know the truth in a confused world, if we want to know life in all its fullness and for all eternity, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And this, and this is good news. Uh, And so we see from these words from Peter that there are only two responses to make. We accept him or not. Uh, And my plea with you this morning is to accept him. If you haven't done so already, accept him. This is good news. His message is one of love and grace and mercy and new birth. So come to him. Believe on him. Surrender to him. And then obey him and his teaching. Look at, look at what's said about those who will accept him. And I know that many watching can enjoy these verses as we read. But look at verse 6 where we see Peter quoting from Isaiah 28 verse 6. And God has said, See, I lay a stone in Zion. This stone is Jesus. A chosen and precious cornerstone. No doubt that would have informed Peter's use of language at the start of what we read in verse 4. A chosen and precious cornerstone. Jesus is this stone and he is the chosen and precious cornerstone. The cornerstone would have been that that pivotal, the, the first block laid, which, which would have set the direction for the rest of the building. If the cornerstone wasn't true to line, then the rest of the building would be off kilter. If the cornerstone wasn't solid on its foundation, then the rest of the building would be weak. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the one on whom everything else and all of life should be built. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him would never be put to shame. It might be helpful here to remember and put ourselves in the situation of the first hearers uh, because the encouragement that they would have had in these words are exactly the same for us today. That as exiles, as those facing persecution for their faith, the reminder that their present circumstances that they find themselves in now, uh, as those shamed for their faith at times, those circumstances will pass. And their true eternal home is a glorious one. It's where they will know the honour that the ESV translates here at the start of verse 7. Or, or they will see Jesus in all his glory and they will, know them, they will know him as the most precious of stones. Precious in all the fullness of that preciousness. We see here in verse 7. Now to you who believe this stone is precious. 
we know that now as believers we will see that in all its fullness and in all its glory when we're with him for all eternity and so I think God through Peter is reminding not only these first believers but us that even though for now you may experience shame for your faith in Christ you will know uh, honour and praise because it's in him and in his fullness that we live and therefore we will never be put to shame the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame Juan Sanchez has, has helped to flesh that out what that actually means for the here and now if we're to have that kind of perspective uh, of living living our lives in the present day possibly facing shame and rebuke and, and, and persecution for our faith how does this eternal perspective help us make daily decisions and here's how he puts this in his commentary at the heart of Peter's encouragement to suffering Christians is this future hope Peter does not deny present suffering but while, he may, while we may be facing the shame of unjust suffering now, we can persevere looking forward to our future honour. Our future destiny is linked to Christ's. We may now suffer shame and rejection as he did, but we will then receive vindication and honour just as he did. So next time you face perse- pressure at work to follow others in unethical practices, embrace the shame that comes now for knowing Christ, knowing that the true honour awaits. The next time you're tempted to cheat in an exam in order to gain honour from your professor and your peers, embrace the shame that comes with obeying all Jesus has commanded, knowing that he will vindicate you. The next time you're talking with an unbelieving friend or neighbour and they're offended at at you for what you believe, embrace the shame that comes with believing the whole counsel of God, knowing that in the end you will be honoured by God. Embrace present shame with joy, knowing that a reversal awaits us, at the revelation of Christ. So for those who believe in Jesus, for those who trust in his wondrous work on their behalf on the cross, reconciling them with God and setting them on a course for an eternity with him, then we seek to live our lives now in obedience and surrender to our Saviour and our Lord. This is one way in which we must respond. In fact, this is the way in which we must respond, sorry. That we must trust in Jesus. And in doing so, not only will we uh, experience all that we've seen through First Peter so far, this new identity, a new birth, a wonderful inheritance that's being kept for us, and now we live out our lives seeking to glorify him, all of that, yes, is true. That's how we live. But first we must respond to the good news by trusting in him and therefore knowing this stone is precious. But verse 7 continues to show that actually Accepting this message of salvation is, of course, not the only option. There is another response to Jesus' salvation offer. But, the second half of verse 7, To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that causes them to fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. You see, there is, a, there is a, an opportunity to not believe. There is an opportunity to disobey the message. I think those two things are meaning the same, that to not believe is to disobey. To disobey is to not believe. Um, but notice that the stone the builders rejected, in this quotation from Psalm 118, even though some may reject Christ, he is still the cornerstone. Just because some of us choose not to follow Jesus doesn't mean that his identity is lessened by that his his power his authority is not dependent on how we respond he is the cornerstone 
what he did and who he is is true is real he is the cornerstone and despite being rejected that's who he is and that's not changing and so he is the cornerstone and therefore for some he is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall see as the undisputed cornerstone we will all be held accountable for for what we did with his message of salvation and as we've seen for those who believe that they will be welcomed by him but for those who don't believe who don't trust in his work on their behalf then they must pay the penalty for sin themselves and that means facing an eternity of judgment of separation from god and from his goodness in hell that's where the stumbling leads that's where the the fall ends up and so by not standing on the stone on the rock that is offered to save us from that destiny it means we can't escape that destiny and and this is a this is a dire and it's an uncomfortable truth in many ways but it is a biblical truth indeed jesus himself indicated this as, as he concluded the sermon on the mount uh, recorded in matthew 5 to 7 and in verse 24 to 27 of, of chapter 7 of matthew's gospel jesus explains everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it was built, it, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. You see, without Jesus, we have no hope. No house that we can ever build on our own or, or no life that we can ever live regardless of how good we try to be can ever deal with the problem of sin. We, we're, we all were in sin and we therefore all justly should pay the penalty for that sin. We, we read about it in words that we turn to frequently in Ephesians 2 and verse 3. We see all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Wrath is what we all deserve. But of course, the, the, the salvation story doesn't end there and Ephesians 2 doesn't end there. It goes on. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we, when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, we, we deserve wrath. That's the just punishment for the sin. But because of God's great love, he has made a way for us to know grace. And, and so can I plead with you again, if, if you're with us this morning in the building or watching online and you know that you haven't trusted in Jesus, you haven't given him the reins of your life, you're seeking to live your life over uh, following our, your own desires and priorities, then please turn to him this morning. See where life without him leads and see the life that he is offering you for now and for all eternity with him he is good his word is good his salvation is good so trust in him trust in him alone confess your sin before him and plead for his forgiveness and we know he will grant forgiveness to those who confess he's waiting for you to run to him so come come to him as we saw right at the start of verse four as you come to him and when you do you'll join with with those of us who have already committed our lives to christ and therefore we can rejoice with these promises that we saw right at the very start in verses 9 and 10 but you you have you who have accepted christ you who have uh, believed in his glorious name 
but you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we're back to where we started. And I hope you can read those words again with with an increased sense of joy and wonder at what Jesus has made possible and what he has won for us. That he is the one who called us. He is the one who offers salvation through his full and final work on the cross on our behalf. He is the one who took the penalty in our place so that we could know mercy and love and grace. He is the one who's given us our new identity, saved children of God. He is the one who equips us by his spirit and I live out a life of obedient, faithful following of him. And so, of course, all of that leads us to say, yes, he is the one who we will declare the praises of. He is the one whose excellencies we wish to proclaim, as the ESV states. How worthy he is of it all. May may he indeed be praised and glorified and honoured because he has given such a great gift. He gave himself so that we would know life. He took on our shame so that we would know honour. And so we continue to live as his people showing his goodness, his love and his grace to a world that watches on. And so as we recognise what Jesus has done and we see what we must do in responding to follow him, let's stand firm on the rock of Christ. He is the one who has offered salvation. He is the one who has made it possible. He is the one who equips us to live for him. He is the one who will come again in glory. He is the one who will, seat on in, who will sit on the eternal throne of glory. And so let's offer our lives to him now. And in everything we do, whether in word or in deed, may it all be for the praise of his name and the extension of his kingdom. Amen.